Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to The Postscript. Hi, welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series, uh, where we have conversations with pastors and professors from LFBI about topics ranging from their life in ministry to theology, um, and all of it's intended to edify you and strengthen you, and so we're hoping that it does that. This week, we are with my dear friend, Pastor Alan Shelby, and we're going to be having a conversation about the church and the church's role in politics. So it's already, you know, just from the, right out the gate, we're being controversial. So you know how politics are. So here we are. We're going to have this conversation, and, uh, and my very first question to you, uh, Pastor, is how did evangelicals, how did evangelical Christianity um, come to a place where they were synonymous with, or at least the bulk of it, synonymous with republicanism? So that's a big question. Um, but give us the history and how you think we got to a place where we were tied so closely and bound so closely to the Republican Party. What happened? Well, that's, that is a good question, because I would say it was not so from the beginning, meaning... Um, the beginning of the evangelical movement in America. Mm. So George Whitfield and uh, Jonathan Edwards. Now, maybe there was some, some sort of political alliance in the sense that it was the Great Awakening that uh, provided the spiritual impetus of the American Revolution. Mm. So perhaps there was some tie together in that way. Uh, it, it is kind of an odd thing that it should be like that because uh, America, ostensibly being founded on the idea of a separation of church and state. Uh, however, I think just like the ancient Roman Republic, that did not mean a separation of God and state. Mm -hmm. So we use the word God all the time, and uh, God is invoked at um, most of the of the political functions that we do. Mm -hmm. And that's no different than it was uh, in first century time. So, uh, however, um, evangelical wing of Christendom ha does does seem to have a a um, propensity for for one party over another. Right. Now, I could, you know, I could say I'm a Republican and alienate 20 to 30 percent. I could say I'm a Democrat and alienate 70, 60 to 70 percent. Yeah, sure. Uh, but that, you know, that doesn't mean, therefore, that I'm a libertarian or something like that. Mm -hmm. I think what I would say it means is that this world is not our home and we're always looking for a king, mm -hmm. unfortunately, even many Christians. So how, how did we end up in the spot that we're in? We're still looking for a king just like ancient Israel was mm -hmm. when they came to Samuel and said, you know, look, you're getting old and your sons don't follow in your ways. So give us a king like all the other nations. Mm -hmm. I believe that we've said that even on the all the way back to the early fundamentalists. Because they were as politically aligned in many respects as uh, as we are today. Mm. So here's here's one of the things I think is sad. Billy Sunday, great evangelist, uh, prior to Billy Graham. So right. Billy Sunday uh, preached and you know uh, very popular and 
you know, who, who knows how many tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands even of people came to Christ through his preaching. Mm-hmm. But if you go on YouTube, there's exactly one video of Billy Sunday, and he doesn't say one word about the gospel. Man. It is all against, quote, the liquor crowd. Right. Because it was all about prohibition. Mm-hmm. And that's the only that is the only legacy and heritage of Billy Sunday that is out there on YouTube. And you know, that is that's too much. When it when it transcends the gospel, then it, you know, it's too much. Yeah. So what does that what does that tell us in terms of, of how politics have gotten in the way? I mean, so you th- you think about an evangelist like Billy Graham, whose sole desire in life was to see people converted. In fact, your your own testimony is is by the influence of of Billy Graham, and uh, and yet um, he made famous the association of the evangelical um, uh, relationship with politicians, and he he spent so much of his time in the White House, and he spent and later uh, he he came to a place. Decades later, when he saw that it really didn't have much influence, and that uh, <laughs> that the the Christian lobby um, wasn't interference, he said he regretted it. You know, he came to a place of regret that he had spent so much time wooing presidents, when all the while he should have been focusing more attention than he already was on the gospel. What does that tell us? Yeah, and I think you know, I think in his defense at the time, he would have said he was America's pastor, and he mm-hmm. he. Uh, had a good relationship with presidents since Harry Truman. So mm-hmm. uh, both Republican and Democrat. So he uh, he would be in the offices of the Democratic presidents as well as the Republican presidents. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was especially those. You know, there's a there if you read any of Calvin's commentaries, there's a difference between Calvin and Calvinists. Mm-hmm. And even John Calvin denies Calvinism when he gets to, you know, First John and it talks about Christ dying for the sins of the world. Calvin is not a Calvinist there. And mm-hmm. some of the problem isn't Calvin, it's Calvinists. And we always tend to take the people we follow and uh, there's, there, you know, there's no truer believer than a convert and they go out and they're, they're over the top with it. So, Billy Graham was one thing, which did open a door, but then you had Jerry Falwell, and that became mm-hmm. a total, total another thing. Yeah. Because the idea was that if you could extrapolate from the Bible certain socially conservative positions, and those socially conservative positions you extra- you get out of the Bible are mirrored by a certain political party, then... You should support only that party, otherwise you are not being a good Christian. Right. Okay, so there's this echo effect of extrapolating one thing out, and then and then it kind of echoes back in a different way. So I've gone from there's certain things the Bible affirms, and you know, so, you know, it, we we live in a free country, so vote and vote your conscience. Sure. But then going from that to, well, only this party in their platform, really, they're the only ones that support the majority of those things. And then if I don't vote for them, I'm, I'm, I'm not spiritual or I'm a bad Christian in some mm-hmm. way. So mm-hmm. now we have entwined politics with our Christianity and our evangelical Christianity 
and we tend to entwine patriotism with our prophecy. And that makes us off on both, and mm. it's a shame. Mm. Explain that a little bit, the the way that we've intertwined prophecy and and um, patriotism. And, and I think I know where you're going, but I, our listeners might not understand Well, that. so if I do that, let's say from my viewpoint of Daniel's uh, explanation of Nebuchadnezzar's image mm-hmm. in Daniel chapter 2. Yeah. And so it has the you know head of gold, and that's Nebuchadnezzar, and the arms of silver, and that's Medo-Persian Empire, and the and the thighs of brass, and that's Alexander, uh, and uh, his four generals that uh, kind of inherit the earth after that, and then it breaks into two legs, mm-hmm. and our prophetic position for so many decades in Baptisthood is that those two legs were the Eastern Roman Empire and the Western Roman Empire. And that is, I'll say that is an interpretation colored by our patriotism. Because if the question is, where's America in Bible prophecy? We don't want to accept the idea that uh, we could kind of actually end up being all over the, you know, so all over the place it wasn't needed to be mentioned, or it was mentioned and we're we're refusing to see it. So I will say one leg is, you know, the the Roman Empire, ancient Roman Empire, republic converting into an empire with the first emperor in the first century at the first coming of Christ, and the second leg is our neo-Roman American empire, which is um, also has all the same faults, flaws, and mechanisms and the same type of cultural scenario happening where it can be co-opted by the person who will be the next emperor. Mm-hmm. And then you've got two legs and two feet, and, and uh, there's a parallel between the two things. Um, if you take, if you will drain your view of Bible prophecy of all of the patriotic, strictly, pa- and I'm a patriot. Mm-hmm. America's land, you know, we we fight for freedom, sure. democracy. Yeah, we love America. And uh, uh, capitalists, okay, you know, uh, there there are good things about our system um, when uh, extremes are uh, are uh, shied away from. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I can't let my patriotism blind me to what God is actually doing. Mm-hmm. So three types of empires in history, em- empires of conquest, Assyria, Babylon, Russia, uh, em- empires of commerce, Greek, British, and only two empires of trust— the Roman Empire, which was which grew because they were all about security mm-hmm. and expanding their security horizons in right. order to have peace for trade. Yeah. They're very diplomatic. And America. Mm-hmm. So ever since the Bretton Woods Accords in 1944, we've had a one world currency. It's called the dollar. Right. Uh, the euro has no IMF. There is no IMF of the euro. Euro. 
So it won't be in the Chinese, you know, it's the dollar. We have a one world currency because there's an IMF of the dollar. Mm-hmm. It's dollar denominated. So we've got that. Uh, I mean, ever since World War I, every boot came back. But when we had to go back within 25 years and turn that place out again, no. We have bases in however many countries of the world Rand Paul said it was. You sure. know, we've got them, yeah. we've got bases right. there yeah. uh, of one size or another. And that's exactly what the Roman Empire did. Sure. They'd set out an outpost. Anybody could knock that off. But you knew when you did, you called down a Roman legion on your head. So mm-hmm. you didn't do that. Yeah. And so we've done the same thing. And we've kind of been the director of, of things in the world. And, you know, that's good when you have benevolent leaders with the checks and balances in place. Sure. And I think the orbit of our politics uh, continues to spin in such a way that, um, you know, those balances are thrown off and, you know, we'll see what happens. But at, at the bottom line, there's no, the, there's no political party that is my savior. Right. Government will not be my Messiah. Right. This world is not my home. What I do is I pray for all the leaders. So that so that I can have we can have pro- quietness and peace. Yeah, live peace because that's yeah. how the gospel is going to go forth. So why all the dogmatism? So like you know they invented Facebook, and uh, so Christians as well as everyone else has the opportunity to um, brand themselves, uh, you know, publicize their identifiers. This is this is the person that I'm presenting to you. This is the person that I'm. I, I want you to know that I am. And so much of that dialogue, that dialectic from Christians in particular is not necessarily about the gospel, uh, but what they perceive to be their Christian political platform. And again, I don't think you would suggest that Christian morality uh, is ever wrong, um, whether it's legislated or not. Uh, but what what I'm, I'm asking is, why is it that that Christians are so bent on the idea that there's some form of salvation in having your political party in in control and in power. Well, I think whenever you succumb to the modern malady of not walking in the Spirit and not being a good Berean, Mm -hmm. so when you give up biblical authority and you are not doing discipleship, Mm -hmm. then you are open and I, I, you know, I think we've even gotten past, I, haven't we as evangelicals, so I'm not speaking personally here, mm-hmm. or f- even for you and I, mm-hmm. I, I'm talking about evangelicaldom. Sure. Have we, haven't we even got past the point of caring whether or not our candidate personally fits biblical moral framework? Mm-hmm. I mean, we used to criticize the other side. Because it didn't seem to us that their candidates were the paragon of virtue and right. therefore vote vote for ours. You can see, obviously, we right. got it right. right. And, uh, yeah, we, we've, uh, we've abandoned that. Uh, yeah, I think we kind of got over that. Yeah. And um, there are other issues. In the, and I think the, you know, and the problem is this. I, could, I can see saying that keep your eye on Israel. Mm-hmm. Because what God is doing right now, um, he's going to pick a candidate 
and and he's going to allow things to go forth that are going to uh, allow a certain scenario and do a certain thing where Israel is concerned. I so I can see that. Mm-hmm. But um but you know what we do is we build a theology based on inferences. So we take the Bible and infer that that means certain things about political affiliation mm-hmm. or political position. I mean po- politically and as a partisan member of a party uh and we infer those things and then uh, as as we also build a theology based on inference in other areas but we build it in that so that our again our patriotism overrules our biblicism it overrules our discipleship mm. and so it doesn't matter the candidates moral compass Instead, what matters is he's going to politically do the thing that politically, and I'm again, because it's based on inference, I'm not even talking biblically now. Mm-hmm. So what we're saying is this candidate is going to give us the judges that we want. And it doesn't matter that those judges may by and large, may, may be more to the Roman Catholic wing. Mm-hmm. But but politically, it lines up with what we have inferred from the Bible that we need to see. And so it all gets an entangled mess. Mm-hmm. So I think any Christian that wades into that is just, you know, getting seaweed around their legs. How are you going to go forward in discipleship like you ought to if you're tied up with all of that? That is why Paul doesn't wade into that. Mm-hmm. With I mean, with all the things, when you stop and think— that um, you go from Caesar Augustus, and now when when Paul is on the scene in the fifties, then Claudius is the emperor, and and he he you know kicks all the Jews out of Rome, and then allows them to come back, and uh, then you have after you know after him you've got Nero, and. Nero is okay with Paul to the degree he lets him go the first time. Right. I think I think privately what happens, my reading of history would be his mother became a Christian and he was and he himself was very insecure about how many of his centurions and leaders of his army had become become followers of Christ. Right. And therefore he made a statement and he killed his mother, he killed his wife. Um, you know, he 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 went crazy, right? And yeah. uh, he took Christians and uh, you know uh, ran a pole through them, dipped them in tar, and used them to light his gardens. I mean, he he was making a statement, right? And uh, that's why you know he later hunted down Paul to get him the second time, and Paul knew that 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 was all she wrote. But when you think about all of that that was happening, and in all of his epistles, Paul says nothing except obey right. those who are in authority. Yeah, and he says nothing except pray for them, yeah. so that we can have quietness and peace in all godliness and honesty. We're not judging them and measuring them. They're good Romans. I mean, yeah, what, what have who, we got who, to criticize them right. anyway? Yeah, uh, this world is not our home, so let's, you know, let's look to our own things. Let Caesar look to his. So then, what's the call? You know, what's the call on you know to to come back to that perspective? 
that says, you know, Paul was not so concerned with political parties or even how the government might be oppressing him or holding him back. You don't see him speaking about conspiracy theories, right? The only conspiracy he's concerned about is uh, that he writes about is the Antichrist, the one in the future. And um, and so how do we get to a place? Um, and I, I would bet it has something to do with being a Berean and, and, and being walking in the spirit. But what what's the call to Christians in terms of coming back to a proper perspective on discipleship? Well, and- you know, I'd say on one level, the call is to be a true patriot. Okay. So we are all participants in not a democracy, but a representative democracy. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, you know, we complain some some sometimes, or some in the media, or some others complain, perhaps that a candidate is elected to an office that does not win the po- what is called quote the popular vote unquote yeah, right. But as part of the checks and balances that we are now getting away from, perhaps, mm-hmm. uh, we were never designed as a pure democracy mm-hmm. because that could be could be the tyranny of the majority. And so they said, you know, no, we can't we can't do that. Uh, let's break it down further. So each state votes for the electors. Mm-hmm. And it's they will be the representatives of that state to cast the votes for the executive. Right. So okay, let's you know let's get back to being true patriots. It ought to be that distant from us. We ought to be to some degree that disinterested. I think. Mm. Um, certainly, any level at which we spend more time or have more emotion. We're over politics than we do over the gospel. We are deflected to yeah. our great shame, yeah. and we will never have revival uh, until we pull ourselves out of that. So, okay, go back to being a true patriot and put it all in the context of which it should be. And we can all vote, and we can all have our opinions, and we all have free speech. Uh, but the primary way in which our free speech should be exercised is in the gospel. Yes. So, so there is a there is a conspiracy. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil, mm-hmm. and it has two wings to make sure that it is as entirely effective as it can be. One wing is uh, that. You know, saying that, okay, the government and big business and the elites, they're all okay. And, uh, okay, that, that's one way in which the conspiracy gets over. Mm-hmm. The other way is to say, no, the, somewhere within these, there are subgroups which either have existed in the past and continue to come to the fore, or they are a product of greed and so forth. And so they, you know, that then that's that's a conspiracy. It, it, you know, either of those positions, we need to get back to simply saying, no, you know, what it is, is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And if we're going to be an attack on anything, be attack against that. If we're going to get emotional against anything, be against that. But let us be known for uh, faith, love, and hope. Mm-hmm. And it's not found in a political party or their positions per se. Mm-hmm. 
And it is found in getting the gospel to people so that the kingdom of God comes in their heart before the king arrives. Yeah. Alan, thank you for this conversation. Uh, I really appreciate your insight. And I do think it it does help me uh, as a citizen of America and uh, as someone who loves America uh, to have a proper perspective um, ultimately, what you said is, you know, we are citizens first and foremost of heaven. Uh, we are pilgrims and strangers here. This world is not our home, and and so if we if we function as ambassadors first, and then uh, participants in America second, um, then I think it does help us to to live a more yeah. meaningful. I'd life. say don't read from the Bible into politics. Mm-hmm. Read from the Bible to the gospel. Mm-hmm. Be gospel centered in what you're getting out from the Bible and giving to others and applying, apply it in a gospel way, which puts the matter of being born again first above everything else. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, thanks, brother. I appreciate the time. And yeah, I want to thank Lord. you as well for joining us for this episode of The Postscript. And uh, if you've got questions about LFBI um, or if you've got questions about Living Faith Fellowship, you can find us online, lfbi.org or lffellowship.com. And in both of those places, you can learn about uh, who we are as a fellowship, the connection between our churches, our uh, theological perspective, our approach to God's Word. Uh, All of that's there and available to you. But we want to say thank you for joining us, and we hope that uh, today was edifying and beneficial to you. Bye. I'm the high school pastor at Midtown Baptist Temple, and I'm a student of Living Faith Bible Institute, where I can go to class and know that I'm going to walk away with something that I can use, if not this week, in the future. Sometimes, especially at school, you might be in a class that's going to get you a degree, but it has no application in your life. Well, in LFBI, I know that I'm going to take these classes and, and it's either going to apply directly to my my craft, to my weekly procedures, or it's going to be something in the Word that I'm going to have a student or a counselor who has that question. And now I'm a little more equipped to do the work in the ministry. So I love giving my life every moment I can to young people and to the team I work with because we are affecting the world. Enroll for classes at lfbi.org. If you are interested in donating to LFBI to support future pastors and leaders, please visit lfbi.org backslash donate.